Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 when nebuchadnezzar defeats the egyptians he says well since jerusalem and those people in judah are allies of egypt i'm going to just since we're in the area go take care of them too so they go down and they besiege the city but they don't really destroy it until a few years later but they do take some people captive. And Daniel and his friends go captive and they go into this city. They're coming from Jerusalem and they're going into this amazing city. It, it would have been the city of its time. Nebuchadnezzar was a builder. He built so many things. In fact, the excavations show that he stamped his bricks. He put his name on all of the bricks that were being built. In fact, nine out of 10 bricks that were discovered in the excavations of Babylon bear his name. It would be like a label or something. He wanted to make sure that I'm the guy who builds all these things. He built the hanging gardens of Babylon, which ancient writers said was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. And so the guy was into building. In fact, my seminary professor who taught me in the book of Daniel, he actually uh, translated the book of Daniel into the NIV version. He was, he was the one that headed up that committee over Daniel. He had a brick that he brought into class one day with Nebuchadnezzar's stamp on it. So I actually saw one of the bricks from his day. Um, it got to hold it, got to feel it. He said, make sure you don't drop that. You know, and uh, students are like with fear and trembling as they're passing that because it was so old. But it had his stamp right on it. It had his name uh, stamped right on it. It was pretty interesting. And that's what kind of guy he just wanted to build. He was going to take people captive. He does that now. Babylon is, is located in modern-day Iraq. And God is going to use him as a tool to discipline his own um, people with it. Now, when we look at that first verse and we see Judah and Babylon or Jerusalem and Babylon, you always see this contrast between the two cities through Scripture. You see Babylon and you see Jerusalem. Babylon was everything that was against God, where Jerusalem was God's holy city. So when we look at Babel, we look back at Shinar in, in Genesis 11. We see where it first happens. That's where your first world government leadership meeting took place. First United Nations. It was one world government at that time. And they built a tower. And the idea was to make a name for themselves. It wasn't about really listening to God anymore, fulfilling his commands. By that time, right after the flood, the world began to rebel again. 
They began, as strange as that sounds, when God had to bring judgment on the world and, and flood the world, that, that here we're, we're going to wipe the slate clean and we're going to start all over again, that, that in Genesis 11 already they're back to rebelling against God as humans so often do. God gives us chance after chance after chance. And here in Babel, in Genesis 11, we see it for the first time. Babel becomes Babylon. And it becomes really the height of man's rebellion against God. And so when we see Babylon here, we know that it's in contrast to Jerusalem, God's holy city. And as you follow Babylon through the scriptures, we know that there's a time coming where Babylon will finally be judged ultimately. Now some think Babylon's going to be rebuilt. It's right there in modern day Iraq is the location of it, and they think it's going to be built again, that when Revelation speaks of it, that that's going to be a final judgment on that city, but at least it represents the world system. It represents everything that is opposed to God. It represents everything that is, 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 is um, against his purposes and plans for humanity, where Jerusalem would be God's holy city. So we see in the, the New Testament Revelation, chapter 17 and 18, Babylon is destroyed, totally destroyed. That's the end of it, and that's the end of history as we know it. Jesus is going to return. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years on earth. The saints are going to come back to him. But Jerusalem will continue. Jerusalem will continue. In Revelation 21, verse 2, it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so as you read uh, in the book of Revelation 21, 22, you see this new Jerusalem, God's holy city once again. Here in Daniel, verse 1, we see Babylon coming and taking Jerusalem captive. But at the end, it's the other way around. God destroying Babylon and us living in Jerusalem for the entirety of um, the rest of our lives. Eternal. How many are going to be glad that we get to live eternally with the God who rules and reigns? I mean, seriously, when you think about that. Right now we're dealing with all kinds of stuff, sin, sickness, Satan, and all that stuff, but the new Jerusalem isn't going to have that. We're going to be in a very different environment. The battles that we have in this world are going to be gone. We're going to be thankful that we obeyed God. We're going to be thankful that we decided to put the Lord first in our lives because when the curtain of history closes, we're going to stand before him. And I know you want those words said to you that I do. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that day is coming. So we see already um, the captivity of God's people in verses 1 and 2. Now I want you to see God's power and his sovereignty. Okay, God is in control. We say that, right? What I would say is that man proposes, but God disposes. In other words, man can come up with all kinds of things in their heart like Nebuchadnezzar. I think I'll go take Jerusalem. I think I'll besiege the city and just take it. But really, and Daniel understands this, that it's God that gives him the permission. Look at verse 2. It says, well, read the end of verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it. And then what does it say? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Into his hand. Do you see that? 
Daniel right away is, understands that God is in control. This is what I'm saying, you guys, that, that there's no way that Nebuchadnezzar, as powerful as he is, could have ever took the city unless God let the hedge down, unless God sent them. When we look at this, we know that God is disciplining his people because they violated the covenant that God made with them. In other words, in the book of Deuteronomy, before they even go into the land, God is saying this to them. Listen, when you go into the land, this is what you're going to do. Don't do this. And in, in uh, Deuteronomy 28, we got blessings and curses that are there. God tells them ahead of time. Listen to what Deuteronomy 28 says. God prophesied this through Moses. Verses 49 to 52. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth. Swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. A hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It also shall not leave you grain, wine, or all the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted Come down throughout all your land, and they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land which the Lord God has given you. So Nebuchadnezzar may have besieged Jerusalem, but it was God's hand. And some people have difficulty with that. God, when you see his actions in the Old Testament, you see him dealing with God's people, he's always bringing a purity, he's always bringing a holiness to them, they get to the bottom, they're sinking in their sin like quicksand, and really it's God's mercy when he does these things. This nation was off the hinge as far as anti-God was concerned, and God is using them to discipline his own people. The major theme throughout the book of Daniel, if you're to say, hey, what is one theme that floats to the top? I told you that there's two themes that are important, but the one that is most important is God's sovereignty, and Daniel knew that. He wrote it in his words. It was God who gave Israel, Jerusalem, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar was. And this is the problem with kings today. They think they're God. They think that they're the ones that are ruling and reigning in their little kingdoms and everything else. And everyone sees that and Christians look back and say, no, no, you're not the one ruling and reigning. God is sovereign. You are under him. This is why you have to trust what's going on right now, you guys. You have to trust that. That, that man, Christians are like up in, a, in, in an uproar thinking that the church is going to fall apart or something. And that ain't going to happen. In fact, when the disciplinary hand of God comes, if judgment begins in the household of God, that uh, Paul wrote that in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, judgment begins in the household of God. Whatever comes out of the trials and difficulties and everything else, we should have the confidence that God is in control. Amen. Daniel wrote it, and I mean, he understood it. In verses 1 and 2, we see Judah taken captive from their homeland to a, a foreign land. And in verse 6, we see Judah mentioned again. Why is that important? Because God made a promise that the Messiah is going to come through the tribe of Judah. 
He made that promise back in Genesis 49. And if Judah was gone, then there would be the promise gone too. But Judah isn't gone. Judah wasn't gone. Because God's sovereignty preserves his people. God will always preserve his people. There's never a time that he slumbers over his people. He will always be in control. There's never a time he's like waking up in the morning and saying, oh no, we need to go into damage control. Gather all the angels around. We need to have a conference. We're going to have a discussion about this because the elections didn't go the way you thought they did. And, and uh, you know, China's shooting, you know, rockets up in the air or whatever, you know, put, and just letting them fall anywhere. Everybody's like freaked out over the weirdest stuff. It's like they get too consumed in the news and not consumed in the Word of God. And we need to see this today, you guys, because Daniel trusted in the sovereignty of God. Do you see this little detail here that this Judah, and then in verse 6, Judah, God will preserve his... You know where he made another promise? In Isaiah, I mean in Jeremiah. Listen to this, Jeremiah 31 Verses 35 to 37. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order, listen to this, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me. Okay, so... Get a hold of that if the sea stops, the fixed order of the moon and the stars stop. But he goes on. He says, thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured. Do you realize that if you, like, ask an astronomer, you know, somebody who's into astronomy, and, and you ask him, hey, how many galaxies are there? They'll tell you there's like 200 billion galaxies to something like 2 trillion is what they say. That's a big gap, don't you think? To, well, which one is it, 200 billion? Or is it 2 trillion galaxies? I think God made the universe that big so no one could ever measure it because he says if it's measured, then the Jews will cease to exist. All right? So thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. It ain't going to happen. In other words, he said, you know, you can take nuclear rockets and shoot them at the moon and the stars and everything and try and knock them all out. You ain't going to do it. Israel will still continue to cease because God is sovereign. That little tiny little nation. And then you get the little tiny tribe out of the tiny nation, Judah. And, and even though Nebuchadnezzar besieges Judah, God, God brings this up twice in this passage for a reason. He says, I am going to fulfill my promises. Amen? There's a little detail that's included in verse 2, I think, that needs to be noted. Because it caught my attention when I was reading. It says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels. Here's the detail. Some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar. That's why you know Babylon is in the same location as Babel in Genesis 11. Because he mentions Shinar. And that's what it mentions in Genesis. Shinar to the house of his God. And placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Why does that even matter? 
I mean, so he took some booty. So he took the, the B-O-O-T-Y was a term, you guys. <laughs> the spoils. Why even mention the spoils? The big thing going on here, the big thing going on here is just that. That, that Jerusalem is besieged and taken away captive. That's the big thing. Why mention vessels from the house of God and then brought to his house of God? Because Nebuchadnezzar thought he was bigger than God. And what emperors would do, kings would do in that day, they would find out what their religion was. And one of the things they would do is they would take those vessels, bring them into the house of their God. And what they're saying is our God is more powerful than your God. That's what he was declaring, but I really believe it goes deeper than that because those vessels are seen again in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, you got a successor king, Belshazzar, who takes over. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's gone by that time in Daniel 5, and all of a sudden, Belshazzar pulls out those vessels when he's having a drunken orgy. They're, they're partying, they're drunk, they're loaded, they're wasted. And what does he do? He sends for those vessels in the treasury of the vessels of God and brings them into the party and they start to drink out of them. And so Daniel chapter 5 verse 3 says this, Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. That's why that's important in chapter 1. Because God is saying, it doesn't matter, I will not be mocked. It may take a while before I act until my plans and purposes are. Do you know in the New Testament, you and I are referred to vessels? Listen to this. It says in 2 Timothy 2, 19 to 21, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as wholly useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. The complete opposite of what's going on in Daniel chapter 5. You now are a vessel of God. You are a treasure of God. And we're not supposed to be used in sinful passions of the flesh like what was going on in Daniel 5. Those vessels were set apart for the work of God in the temple. They were set apart to be used for his glory when they were made. And now they're used in a drunken party in Daniel 5. And it was right then when the writing of the wall, this miraculous writing, God writes with his finger on the wall, and basically, it's judgment coming because that was the last straw. Bible says in, in Galatians, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. A person will reap what he sows, it says right after that. It's called the law of the harvest, friends. It's called the law of the harvest that every day you're planting seeds. And whatever seed you're planting, that harvest is going to come in. You may say, man, you know, I, what do I want to be when I get older? What do I want to look like? You know, Daniel was an amazing young man. He was probably 15 years old. 
And here we see the vessels were used as a mockery to God. I want you to see God's people and their identity. And that's what this leads to in verses 3 to 8. Daniel and his friends were chosen to serve in the king's court because they were the cream of the crop. I want you to see this because Nebuchadnezzar is doing things the way of the world. Where God looks at the inward person, in that day, pagan kings looked at the outward person. They wanted to look at the mind. They wanted to look at who they were before they were taken captive. They wanted to say, man, can we use them in our court? Can we use them for our purposes? So we've got social qualifications. Look what he says. Both of royalty and nobility. Daniel and his friends really were of nobility. In fact, the Hebrew actually says seed of royalty. So they were part of the royal family related in some way, shape, or form. They were men of royalty and they were men of nobility. Nobility meaning they had some sort of position or had people under them because of who they were. And so we see the social requirements there or qualifications, but there's also the physical qualifications. Look what it says. He refers to them as youth. They, they need to be young. Why? Because older people are, are harder to mold and shape. They're set in their ways. But you get some of the young people, like Daniel's age, who are 15. They're like putty in people's hands. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar's looking at. He says, man, it doesn't matter who they were before. It doesn't matter what God they were serving before. We're going to re-engineer them. And we're going to teach them the ways. And not only that, they're to be without blemish. They're to be without blemish. In other words, there can't be any physical defects. And they need to be of good appearance, he says. They had to look good, too. Now, I know what's going through your mind. Man, that reminds me of Pastor Walt. That No. (laughs) But but listen to me. This is what he's focusing on. That, That thing without blemish. That's a term that was used of Absalom, who was a man against God. He was raised in the kingdom, Absalom, David's son. But listen to what it says in 2 Samuel 14, 25. Now in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is looking for. He's looking for the, the ones with the silver tongue, the ones that look good because that they know they can get their agenda done. How many people like fall for these stars in Hollywood? You know, they they look good. They've got millions of dollars and everything else, and just because of that, the world goes after them, raves after them. Not only that, um, the Lord is more concerned about the inward man than the outward man. So people that look like me can take a breather and say, oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) I told my wife, I think I'm moving from, you know, the Bible calls us a tent. Our bodies are a tent. I think I'm going from a one-man tent to a two-man tent. (laughs) Let me say this, because it's all all the magazines, what people look like. Your daughters will say, I want to look like that. Your sons are going to say, I want to look like that. I want to be like that guy and that. Why? Because they look good? Because there's no blemish in them? Because they make millions of dollars shooting baskets or catching a football or can throw a football? And you look at them and you say, man, I want to be like that. But God doesn't look at that. Here's what the Bible says. When Samuel was sent to go pick David as the king, 
um, the Lord said to Samuel, listen to this, 1 Samuel 16, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. I'm sorry, this is concerning Absalom. Um, the, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? In the heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. It says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. God's always concerned with our heart. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977